0: Welcome to today's episode of The Power of Reinvention. Here we talk with my guests about the dreams, the visions, and the passions that individuals have every day and dare to explore them. Whether it's business or personal, you're entitled to live the life that you want, and no matter what circumstances, you have the power to create success, fulfill your dreams, and live with passion. That's what I'm talking about. So dare greatly. And happy reinventing, folks. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Power of Reinvention. I am so excited to be here today and to have my incredible guest, Lisa Sun, with me today. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Kathy. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Me too. If everybody could see you and I smiling right now, I mean, we're glowing just with the joy of being connected and chatting again and full disclosure, we are now I can almost call old friends. Um, cause we've been in each other's lives for so long through our incredible friend, Marcy. Thank you very much. Um, Lisa, I am so excited to be having this conversation today and so proud of all that you're doing. Um, for those who don't know, uh, Lisa, I'd like to just give a little intro and background on you. And I'm going to start with, hold on, cause I had an amazing quote here that I just love that I wanted to start with. So give me a second. Here we go. um, I'm going to start with a quote about you and this incredible book, Gravitas, and here it goes, and then I'll give a little more background. Gravitas is a must read for anyone who wants a deeper understanding of themselves and their superpowers. Lisa's son's research, relatable examples, and firsthand personal experience, along with the brilliant quiz and explanation of what true confidence and leadership look like, looks like, provide a roadmap for how we can be our best selves, not just at work, but in all facets of life. This is a guide I want to reread and give as a gift to everyone I care about to boost their confidence and help them understand what will help make them shine in a joyful and sustainable way. This is from Vicki Nyan, NBC News anchor and senior consumer investigative correspondent, and I just love how that quote captures the essence of your book. But for those who don't know who Lisa's son is, the mysterious woman behind this incredible book, Lisa is the founder and CEO of Gravitas, a company on a mission to catalyze confidence. Gravitas designs innovative, size-inclusive apparel, styling solutions, and content designed to to make over women from the inside out. Prior to founding Gravitas, Lisa spent 11 years at McKinsey & Company, where she advised leading luxury fashion and beauty brands and retailers in the U.S., Asia, Europe, and Latin America on strategic and operational issues. Her first collection was not only worn by me, (laughs) but also featured in O, the Oprah Magazine, People, and the Today Show in the same month. Lisa and Gravitas have been featured on CNN and in Forbes, Fast Company, New York Magazine, Elle, Marie Claire, In Style, and so much more. So, starting with this word, Gravitas, building a fashion business around it, and that was no joke. I mean, I know, and this is not being bragged about in any of the materials that I saw, but we know that your dresses were featured on major celebrities on major television shows and you've had some extraordinary experiences in terms of the way you introduced Gravitas to the fashion community, such as what felt like a gallery opening, but those were dresses that were being worn. And I got to sneak into sort of I, I won't say the factory as much the offices where I'd get to kind of go in the back room and just say, okay, Lisa, pull out all the things you think that I'd love. I mean, those were some of my favorite shopping moments in my life. <laughs> well I
1: you know it's I love the way you introduced this, Kathy, because before we get into all the content, I just want to say, I really believe that you embody the power of sisterhood. When you talk about women helping women and people lifting each other up generously and without any expectation of return, that's you. And I just want to go back in time. And it relates to the quote you pulled from my dear friend, Vicky, which is, I've known you for over a decade. And every moment, even though we don't live in the same city, even though we're not constantly in touch you're always looking for ways to lift me and my team up. Um, I can point to coming to our opening, but also when we did a pop-up shop during the Emmys at the W hotel, you drove across town That's right. at 8am <laughs> on a Saturday to say, I want the first appointment. And you handed us your credit <laughs> card and you said, I'm taking it all, which really shocked my team and the, just the drumbeat of your friendship. And so that, mean something. And I hope your listeners understand that you really embody everything that you talk about because you do it with your actions, not just with your words. So that means a lot. And then I love that you pulled Vicky's quote because Vicky... Wynn and I are good friends, we actually met over a decade ago too, backstage in an event that she was emceeing, and then she stood up to support. And it's just really mm. we're sitting at one of the most powerful times in feminism. And I everyone's calling it the fourth wave, but I think it's something that we fought really hard for, right? So if wave one was Are we allowed to have bank accounts without a man attached? Are we allowed to be in the workplace, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s and 90s, which is, can we have it all the choices? Not can we have it all? And I I do feel like Helen Gurley Brown has been misquoted. She did not say we needed to have it all. She said we needed to all have choices beyond what we could imagine. And then I think about Time's Up and Me Too and the activism that the millennials brought in. This fourth wave I've defined as the wave of abundance because it's not about scarcity. It's actually, if I lift you up, that creates more opportunities and there's not just one seat at the table, there's now multiple. And I really love that we get to be a part of Another transition in the feminist movement. So, thank you for your friendship. It's I did the math. It's been about twelve years.
0: (laughs) I know. I love that. I'm like, gosh, it feels like forever, but it feels like it's never enough either. We were just talking before we got on here. I'm trying to convince her to come back to L.A. on another trip so we can host a cocktail party, introduce Lisa to so many more of our amazing women in this market as well, and just you know, getting to spend time together. And you're coming off an exhaustive 20-city book tour, which I am just so excited for you. So let's take a moment. Um, The book I first want to just make sure that I'm sharing, the book is called Gravitas, The Eight Strengths That Redefine Confidence, and we're going to really dig into that today. Um, But I want to go back in time. I want to talk about who little Lisa was, who little Lisa was (laughs) back in the day. Did you have any idea that you would be owning... Owning your own business, owning your confidence, owning Mm. your strength, um, growing up, um, your family influences, and what kind of gave you the drive to be where you are today?
1: Well, one of the things that I write about is we're all born fully self-confident. I actually think you before the age of 12 was the highest potential, fullest version of yourself because you didn't focus on what you didn't have. You didn't focus on weakness. You only focused on potential and your strength. So I do think little Lisa was destined for quite a bit. And it was really that in-between period, I always say between the ages of 12 and whenever you've read my book, we actually have our confidence taken away from us, whether it's through just adolescence or systemic bias. So little Lisa, I grew up as the daughter of immigrants who had a small business in Fontana, California. They had a Mongolian barbecue, $4.95 at lunch, $12.95 at dinner, all you can eat. And in 1987, at the age of eight, there were no child labor laws. So I was the cashier. I can tell you now that the grip strength of an eight-year-old is not quite up to the task of running that old carbon copy credit card machine, right? So I had to lean up on the machine and push down on it because if there was one number missing, you, my parents didn't get paid. So I literally ran the cash register at an all-you-can-eat Mongolian barbecue. And what what that experience taught me was how to create something from nothing. It taught me what vision looked like. I do think immigrants believe in things before they can see them. And so that's pretty special when you think about people who fundamentally move to a country where they don't know anyone. And my parents... My mom worked on a hamburger truck. My dad worked on a loading dock. And so I think little Lisa firsthand got to see what it takes to build something. But at the same time, that put a lot of pressure. The firstborn daughter of immigrants, right? You have a lot of pressure to go to a very fancy school. I went to college at the age of 16 and I. Really got a chance to learn how to take care of myself because I self funded most of my Ivy League education, which is not easy. It was part time jobs, scholarships. I talk a lot about the Toastmasters when I was. 12 years old, they let me come to their meetings and taught me how to be a public speaker. And so I won speaking competitions, the Rotary Club, the Lions Club, just to have cash. I won the Los Angeles Lakers scholarship, which was $20,000. I know I was (laughs) Chick Hearns. I was that little girl that got
0: handed the big check at halftime at the Great Western Forum. Oh my God. I love that. It must be a classic picture somewhere in the archives. You know,
1: there is, but it was just really, if I think about that childhood, it was entrepreneurial. It was tough at times, but I certainly knew that I was doing all of this to do something much bigger for the world.
0: And you were very self-motivated. I mean, it sounds like it wasn't the pressure that was being put upon you. It was something innate in you. Um, Am I correct in in assuming that it was very? It feels like you were driven, and I think and it's I'm a combination. Curious, you know. I think
1: it's a combination. My mom is a tiger mom. She was a tiger mom before tiger moms were a yeah. thing. You know, when Amy Chua's yeah. best-selling book came out, she said, "You see, I was right. Somebody write New York Times best-selling book all about me." So, you yeah, <laughs> know, I definitely want think my parents you don't move to a country where you don't know anyone if you weren't planning to create a better life for your kids. So I would say it's a hybrid. Mm -hmm. I certainly am self-directed, but at the same time, I have parents who really believe in my potential to make a difference in this world. So I would say it's a combination. And I dedicated my book to my mother for that very reason.
0: Yeah. She's, you know, from all our conversations, I know she was a great force in your life. And I think it's interesting how we take the gifts that our parents have given us, whether it's blatant or not. I mean, my father was a major entrepreneur with what I call itchy feet that always wanted to move around and build businesses. My mother was highly spiritual, very evolved, had the, had the very, you can do anything attitude. And I always say, I was lucky to be given those tools, the rest of it was hard work and by design. And, you know, I feel like for you, that's very much been the formula for you. Um, you you talk about this total approach to living life. Um, I'm curious what that really means. And you're clearly, you know, coming off, you're running a company, you've got all kinds of moving pieces in your life. You're on a major book tour to launch and, and not just launch the book to have the important conversations. I mean, let's, let's be really real about this. You were inspired to write this book because of what you understand about the importance of confidence And these book tour events are not just events to sell books. They're to have important conversations, to empower and influence and inspire people. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about that Um, and, and sort of that transition that you went through from McKinsey to creating Gravitas as a company, a brand, an incredible fashion line that did more than just make fabulous dresses. And let me tell you, I put on one of my dresses the other day that I probably did buy 10 years ago. Every one of them is still hanging in my closet. They are timeless. They are powerful. They make you feel so damn confident. And it was just such a beautiful reminder. And, you know, before we got on here, I know I'm asking a lot of questions and saying a lot of things. So I'll come back to the questions, but it made me think, wow, when do I get to go into that office and get a whole mm-hmm. new bunch of dresses? For yeah. uh-huh. so, so we'll have to have that conversation as well. Um, But yeah, let's talk about kind of like those moments, the yeah, confidence, and, I would, and what you, you went through personally. Well,
1: so l- I, let me—I'll I'll take a step back because you—you said something important, which is uh, I wrote the book to help people have a total approach to living life with self-assurance. You know, I spent 11 years in corporate America at a very well-known firm, and one of the things that we realized is, for centuries, we've defined confidence as a behavior. So when someone tells you to be more confident, you speak up, you're assertive, you stand on a stage, right? It's an incredibly extroverted, assertive, behavioral thing when someone says be more confident. When you look up the word confident in the dictionary, it has nothing to do with performance, bravado, or swagger. It's an understanding of, appreciation of, and trust in your own abilities. And I always say, wow, that's something that every five-year-old has, and in adolescence, we identified six forces, it's chapter two of the book, that hold us back from it, that hold us back from that inner potential, so much so that we default to our weaknesses and not our strengths. And so the biggest shift we're making is confidence is a choice and a mindset before it becomes a behavior. And why that ties back to the corporate world is someone at a book reading said to me, you know what? I'm going to call BS on this whole origin story that you didn't have gravitas. I always thought of you as very confident as a 25 year old. And I said, I was faking it. I actually Mm. was faking it. I was speaking up, doing the things that I was told behaviorally, but I was insecure, overachieving. I beat myself up and I didn't like myself very much. And so I think we've been taught to fake it, to make it. And what we've realized is gravitas is actually an unshakable in your bones belief in yourself so much so that it then becomes a behavior. It's like the iceberg model of consciousness. And a reality.
0: Yeah. Right. Like the iceberg. So how, let me ask you, sorry, no, go ahead. And then oh, I'm like, going to ask you something. No, no.
1: And, and so the analogy we use is, you know, an iceberg, only 10% is visible above the waterline. 90% is below the waterline. That 10% is our mm. behaviors. 90% is thoughts, values, and feelings we have about ourselves. And so why we call it an approach. Confidence is not a state of being. It's an approach because bad things happen, setbacks, disappointments, criticisms, and you've got to be able to engage your thoughts, values, and feelings in a way that is compassionate, that shows you how strong you are and things don't get easier. We get stronger. And so we don't call gravitas you know, self-belief. What we do is we call it, it's an approach. It's an approach to tapping into your understanding of yourself that then drives you to be able to live with self-assurance.
0: I love that. I love that definition. I love that approach. And I, it, it definitely, um, sparks the question for me and the conversation that is had so often about people who have what we all know as imposter syndrome, which, I think is absurd because if you do not see her, you cannot become her. And I think feeds right into this notion of, you know, this 10%, this having the confidence, this approach to life that if we can't see ourselves being that and trying to become that that we want to be or have, we're not going to move off square one. Yeah. So this whole notion of imposter syndrome is such an absurdity from my point of view, but I know a lot of people really struggle with their concern and their fear that that is what they're doing. So where does imposter syndrome kind yeah. of sit in this conversation? So,
1: you know, I, I I actually always refer to the Harvard Business Review article that Richie Katulshin and Jodianne Bury wrote called Stop Telling Women They Have Imposter Syndrome, and it's one of my favorite articles because, first of all, they hate the term. they they say imposter syndrome implies we're unwell or we're criminals. And mm-hmm. what we really have to do is separate out systemic bias, right? The rules were not created by us or for us. And um, what we have to understand is we're, we've been made to feel bad about ourselves. So in my book, I talk about these six forces that hold us back, one of which is systemic bias. But what we realize is, you know, shrinking ourselves, focusing on our weaknesses, trying to be superheroes, all the forces that work against us, those forces are actually made better for men and they're exacerbated for women. It's actually the system that's been built. And so I love to tell people, we've got to abolish the term. You can have healthy self-doubt, but then you've got to have the mechanisms by which you can replace it with self-belief. But I really Mm -hmm. want to get rid of that phrase what we're trying to do is help people understand their unique talents and gifts. So we call it a confidence language. You've got, everyone has one of our eight superpowers. My mom has all eight, but the example Mm -hmm. I use, and I, I think it's interesting that you talk about our dresses. I always say it's actually not about the dress. What it really is is every woman comes into a dressing room, hating herself, like truly hating herself. She actually comes with all six forces working against her And our goal in the first 10 minutes is to ask a series of questions that reset her mindset. So I ask her, what are you most proud of in the last year of your life? If your best friend was standing here, what would they tell me about you? What do you think you're the best at in the world, right? A question a five-year-old can answer. No woman wants to answer these questions. But once she does, she sets herself up to succeed. Because I'm a dress whisperer. I can get it right on the first try. But if you come in with a negative mindset... I can't do the work that we want to do, right? You'll say no to every single thing I show you. And by the way, as soon as you see yourself half naked in front of a mirror, you just really don't want to try and close. So I think the focus that we've really made to replace the term imposter syndrome is how do you separate out what you know your own value is from what the system is telling you your value is. And when those don't line up, That's why you feel bad about yourself, right? It took me twice as long to get to partnership at McKinsey as my male colleagues. I thought it was my fault. But now, 20 plus years later, I can confidently say, hey, less than 13% of the global partnership at McKinsey were women when I started at the firm. Maybe this isn't me. Maybe some of it's me, but maybe it's also the system. So I think our book is really trying to separate those two out. How do you value yourself? Do you know how to value yourself? Then do you know how to advocate yourself for yourself? And how well does the system line up with your talents? Because if it does, then you're in good shape, right? If it doesn't, how do you either change the system, work at a place where the system better suits what what you value and what your talents are, or create it? Like in the case of both of us, we decided to create our companies because there were a set of values and talents that we felt like we could do better on our own.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. I mean, look, you're talking to someone who's run her own business for 35 years. And for me, you know, life has always been on my terms. And I never thought for a moment that I should ask for less, take less or generate less in terms of revenue than my counterparts who may have been male. But it was a lot easier from the start because I sat in a seat of confidence all the time, knowing of it. and look, I was 24 years old when I started my company. How much confidence can you possibly have?
1: Well, I don't know if you've taken right. the quiz yet, Kathy, but I'm going to guess that you're going to have self-sustaining I'm, and creating and leading and you're going to have a lot of, of the attributes you need to start your own business. We identified four of our superpowers you need. I'm guessing you had those very early on.
0: Which I have not. And I actually would love to, because I love things like that. And I do, I'd be curious to do it. I mean, yeah. everyone
1: can take it. It's free, myconfidencelanguage.com. And I always say family should take it. A lot of people took it over Thanksgiving dinner because they wanted to figure out their family superpowers. Um, teams take it all the time so that they can figure out what everyone's superpowers are on their team.
0: That's amazing. You know what I'm also going to do? I'd love to incorporate that into our website, the Reinvention Exchange, and have that be sort of on our Inspire page, a sort of section about you and the book and everything, and and include the quiz, because I love to curate these tools and conversations that help people reinvent some part of their lives, which Mm -hmm. is the platform for which we, you know, we get to do this self-evaluation um, I think you know the irony is, as some may know, I my book came out on March seventh, twenty twenty. It was the week before the pandemic sent everybody home. In case anybody doesn't recognize that month and that year, um, funnily enough, I just finally did my first Barnes and Noble book signing event mm-hmm. last week, which I'm kind of laughing about. Three years later, it's mm-hmm. it's such a joy to have been able to have that moment. But I had to reinvent my book launch plan. I had to pivot. But the, the resounding thing about this reinvention conversation is it could be a five-minute reinvention. It could be a 10-year reinvention. But it starts with pausing, reflecting, listening to ourselves, feeling entitled. And there is such a synergy in these conversations of being able to understand what is possible in our lives. To your point, having the gravitas, to having the confidence, to feeling entitled to create what you want. And I love what you said before about, you know, if, if our values don't align with the place that we are, sure, we can try to ch- try to change those rooms. But more importantly, fight a battle that is even more worthy of fighting and find the right rooms to be in. Or as they say, if there's not a seat at the table, build your own table, right? Mm-hmm. That's what you've done. You've built your own company. I built my own company. And there's power in that.
1: Yeah. And, and one of the things that I love about what you've just said, and I think this ties very much into what you have written about is I always say there are no regrets in life, just learnings. And the more aware you are of your strengths, you can view setback and disappointment from a place of learning, right? Who wanted to go into lockdown? In the case of my company, our sales were negative because people sent back clothes. So we made hospital gowns, we made face masks. And I always tell people we focused on what we had and not what we didn't have. And so that allows mm-hmm. you to say, I don't regret that. I can grieve it. I can be sad about what I thought was going to happen. But at the same time, I'm so much stronger coming out of it. And I've learned something about what's possible. And, and that is what we that is the total approach to living life with self-assurance, right? is You don't see regrets. You only see what did I learn from this?
0: Yeah. And it's amazing because the pandemic was a pivotal moment for you as a company. Do you want to talk for a moment about what you did? It was extraordinary (laughs) the way you leaned in and what you guys did during the pandemic. Well, and thank you
1: for supporting us. I know that I know that that was it's, it's, it's fun to see that, you know, one of the things that happened is we make women's workwear. So obviously no one was going to events, conferences, the office. And we have a 30-day return policy. So people sent back clothes that they had just bought. So we refunded more than we sold in March of 2020. And we then pivoted for 72 days from April 3rd to July 13th to making hospital gowns, making face masks. Um, I know my superpowers and two of my top superpowers are creating. So I can see something when no one else can see it and basically create something from nothing. Performing, which is I can you know, put myself out there without any fear and leading. So setting direction. And so I put out on LinkedIn, for example, the sales of my company are negative. If you have a company that needs face masks, we can do that. And, oh my gosh, Uwe Voss, who is a McKinsey person, who's the CEO of HelloFresh, direct messaged me and said, we need 2,500 face masks in the Newark operation. How quickly could you get us face masks, right? People just raised their hands. It's funny.
0: I literally spoke to him yesterday. He's awesome. I mean, I don't know. I don't
1: know him well at all. We're just connected on LinkedIn via McKinsey. And he messaged me on LinkedIn and said, where can we send the money to? And when can you deliver face masks? But, you know, that I think put to the test in a real way, everything we wrote about in the book, right? Everything that we write about in the book was definitely tested in the moment. Someone said to me, you know, Trust is earned when risk is low and leveraged when risk is high. And so I can also say self-trust, right? I think he was speaking about the trust between two people. This is Scott Mann. And I always think self-trust is the same. When risk is low, you can build trust in your own abilities so that when risk is high, like the sales of your company are negative, you actually have already built the muscle to be able to say, I can trust in my own abilities. I know we've been here before. We could do it again because things don't get easier.
0: We just get stronger. That's amazing. I love that expression. What have been your moments of fear? I mean, there's a lot of confidence. There's a lot of strength. There's clearly, you know, as we all know, as entrepreneurs, there are hard moments. What, what keeps you up at night? What are the things that do kind of make you feel a little... Um, shaken or challenged? Yeah.
1: I think every month there's, as an entrepreneur, you in the back, and this is why it's interesting when people tell me they want to start their own business, I always point them to chapter six of my book and here's the four superpowers you need. And I said, the reason is we celebrate entrepreneurship in the media now right? And I always tell people the big thing data is the average age of successful entrepreneur is 45 years old. And people are always shocked by that because they think of like young entrepreneurs. I'm like, actually at 45 and above, you have time, talent, and treasure. You actually know something about something, you have a network, and you can either put your own money in or raise it. But I think the flip side, because it's so vaunted and celebrated is people don't realize that every month you have to make payroll, and health insurance and beg people for favors and say okay can i pay you in 15 days or you know there, there's this very weird edge of a cliff that you live on that never goes away and i don't care how successful you are as an <laughs> That's entrepreneur so well described <laughs> and 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 so i tell people you know i don't think i've slept well in over a decade but the thing is time is how you spend your love if you still love it You're willing to put up with the insanity of standing on the edge of a cliff almost every day, but certainly the last week of the month, because you're like, okay, we're going to make payroll. Okay, are we going to make health insurance? Are we? And and it doesn't matter how successful you look on the outside. Every entrepreneur Mm -hmm. is going through. This is why uh, Phil Knight's book, Shoe Dog. I loved it because he talks about the day and people are shocked that he was willing to say these things about the founding of Nike. He's like all the payroll checks bounced. And so I had to go to our box manufacturer and borrow $8,000 in cash and hand everyone $50 bills to get them through the week until the payroll checks would clear. Good for Phil Knight for laying it all bare. So that certainly keeps me up at night. And I think the other thing that keeps me up at night is every time we as a company make a mistake, how quickly can we recover? What did we learn from it? And there are a lot of people we've disappointed at times. We upgraded our supply chain last year. Guess what? 300 orders went missing and we're still catching up from that. And I'm the type of entrepreneur that will tell you that. Most people are like, oh, that's shocking. You're going to say that out loud. And I'm like, okay, let's be clear on Instagram. It looks like we're killing it. But the reality is I will always give you an honest inventory because that's what the most confident people in the world, too. I am so confident that I can tell you this without any judgment, shame or fear that, hey, we are doing really well on some things and we are failing on others, but it doesn't mean we're giving up.
0: Yeah, I love that. And the ability, you know, it's very empowering when you can be that honest and truthful and work through the problems. And I think it comes to something that I was actually going to ask you earlier, which is who do you go to for help who are your mentors and when we can be real and we can raise our hand and say i need help it's amazing how many people lean in are there for you and want to and are cheering you on and if you don't put it out there you don't realize yeah. who's out there supporting you well and this
1: is this is my own personal soapbox any entrepreneur that's telling you they're killing it is probably lying to you. So it's really interesting. The entrepreneurs I get along with are the ones that will say, you know what, there's a lot of good things, exciting things happening, but at the same time, it's never easy. And, you know, even if you're growing, I always tell people, they're like, you're growing so fast. I'm like, that just means there's more comma and commas and zeros on the checks. I have to write, let's be clear. Growth means there's more commas right. and zeros. So, so that that's my personal soapbox. Every time I meet an entrepreneur that I don't know well, and I'm like, Oh, how's right. it going? If they're like, it's okay, you know, it's hard, but I'm really still excited. Or if they're like, Oh my God, we're doing so well, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, that's just, you, you're, you don't get it yet. Um, but one of the things that I do is I think everyone in life needs a shame buddy and it's a coin. It's a term coined by my best friend, Jane Park, or one of my best friends, best friends, a tier, not a title. You can have many best friends. Okay. So um, I I never had a
0: name for that, but yes, uh, best friend is a tier, not not a title.
1: I mean, you can, I always say you can have a BBF, you can have a best, best friend, but it's still within a tier of people, right? So Jane Park is one of my best friends. She's the CEO and founder of Toki, T-O-K-K-I. People should go check it out. They just launched at Target. And, um, She's the one that taught me this. She said, You need a shame buddy. You need someone that you can tell all the things to. They won't judge you. They won't try to problem solve you unless you ask for it. And they'll often tell you, You're not alone. And that happened to me before. And she is a serially Mm -hmm. successful entrepreneur. She's had, she took a company public, she sold a company to Warburg Pincus, and she's still able to tell me. Oh my gosh, that happened to us three times at Julep when she had the nail 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 business, nail nail beauty business. And she's like, that happened to me, and I'm like, it did. Okay. She goes, here are your options. So if you have a shame buddy in life, you can do the role play that I call worst case, Mm. best case, most likely case. So we do this game, and it comes from the TV show This Is Us, where we'll say, okay, let your inner critic loose. What's the worst case scenario? Because darkness cannot survive the light of connection. It's sitting in your head. If you say it out loud or text it to someone, it doesn't feel as scary. So she'll say, what's the worst case scenario? And I'll just say it out loud. And she goes, okay, what's the best case scenario? And I'll tell her, okay, from my place of strengths, from my superpowers, what's the best case? And then she goes, okay, the most likely is going to be closer to best case because you're now in control. And you said the worst that could happen out loud. So when the sales of my company were negative, I was like, well, I'm going to have to lay everyone off. I'll have to shut it down. I'll be so embarrassed. I won't be able to pay back my investors. Like my parents are a major investor. They're not going to get their retirement money back. Right. And then she goes, what's the best case? She's like, I'm like, I'm going to reach out to a bunch of people and see what revenue opportunities there are and reach out to my network and tell them. And she goes, okay, most likely something's going to come through. You're going to be able to keep the lights on because you've already stared down the barrel, right? You're like, okay, this is the worst that could happen. And it doesn't feel so bad once I've said it out loud. So Jane Park is my shame buddy. And then obviously not my shame buddy, but my biggest cheerleader is my mother, right? She is the one that will say, you will success. That is a direct translation from Chinese. Cause there's no verb succeed. It's you will, you will have success. That's how you say it. Yes. And she's the one that always says like, um, Mama,知道你会成功, which is like, I know you're going to succeed. I know, I believe in you. Mama,相信你会成功. You know, she says that all the time. And I think mm. that is the voice in my head that I probably was trying to write about across 200 pages, right? Is that voice in your head, which sounds like my mother's broken English.
0: That is fantastic. My mother was that to me and I so appreciate that. And she just passed away this year. Um, Um, my sister has become sort of my, my de facto actually always was, but even more so she is that one, that voice that I call sometimes going, what am I doing exactly? And she (laughs) reminds me and she grounds me, but I love what you just shared about Jane and who she is in your life and what that means. That worst case, best case, I mean, 24 years ago. I mean, I was 24, sorry, a long time ago when I started this business. And throughout the years, I have so often had those moments where I've said, what's the worst thing that could happen? You know, as you described, I have to lay off people. I have to close off, you know, my lease agreement. I have to, you know, disband the company. I'm smart. I'm hireable. I'm worth a lot of money. Is that the worst thing in the world if that's where I ended up? Never have come to that moment. But it enabled me to dispel that fear, break it down into tiny little micro pieces and just kind of go, well, yeah, no, that's not going to (laughs) happen. Yeah. And focus on the solution. And I think as entrepreneurs, that is a superpower. We are solution driven, solution oriented, and that is what drives us. And I love the way you just broke that down. You have so many nuggets of extraordinary information. And I bought the book when it came out. And I was just thinking now, when I came in this morning to the office, I'm like, wait, where is it? We literally moved a month ago and I'm still unpacking boxes. So okay. I didn't have it handy. And I'm like, okay, I need to pull it out and read it again. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's, and it's so a exciting. very
1: sexy looking book. It's a very sexy
0: looking book. It's, it's very beautiful. sexy. You can, I mean, can
1: use the cover to like cover up Colleen Hoover or whatever your guilty pleasure reading is on it. a plane. It's very pretty.
0: Yeah. It is, it is. Mm -hmm. Just like your dresses, sexy and confident and strong and bold. And let me tell you, ladies, if you are out there and you're wanting just even a nugget of what Lisa has to share, I cannot recommend it enough. Being in her orbit, her sphere, Lisa, you are such an inspiration. I am just floored by what you're doing. And this conversation is just so beautifully aligned with, and I have to say, This is not just for women. And this is something I say a lot about my book, which is really geared towards men and women. It has stories for men and women from all walks of life. There is so much in this that I think in the day and age that we are now living, where even men are questioning their role in companies, their role in relationships, there is a lot of powerful information in this and this is not just for women even though that may be the intention yeah well you know Um, i love that you brought that
1: up kathy one-third we've we've figured out like about one-third of the readership is men and, um, a lot of the Amazon mm-hmm. reviews, a lot of men are like, we've been evaluating confidence incorrectly for so long. So thank you for resetting it. You know, I will just address that really quickly. We had a long conversation around whether or not I should write the book for general audience or for women in particular. And mm. it was really important for me to write it from a female lens because no one's done that in the confidence space and we were able to highlight so many of the issues more directly and frankly, take a stronger stance on it. And the data set played out because we did quantitative research, but it's funny whenever I get asked to do a speaking event, sometimes I'm asked if my topic works for men and I always say, Oh, it works for everyone, women, men, non-binary. And I always think in the back of my head, when was the last time you asked a man if their topic works for women? And I wrote that in chapter eight of my book because, you know, we no male speaker has ever been asked. Do you know how to talk to women? It's just assume that they're going to be good on stage. And so when I wrote the book, I said, we've got to take a female lens to it, number one, because I think women need me more. And the issues we highlight can be that much more high impact in terms of making a difference. But at the same time, I have read a lot of books written by men through their point of view. So why wouldn't we ask a man to read a book from a woman of color's point of view on this topic that for centuries we keep writing about it? So clearly there's still more work to do. And by the way, Dale Carnegie changed my life when I was 12 years old and I got How to Win Friends and Influence Others It taught me how to operate in Western society. How does an immigrant daughter know how to shake hands and smile and remember people's names and ask questions, right? That's not in the Asian culture. Um, And so I think I'm grateful for it. But so one note, right? There's all these other things we can now talk about. And I do love that my Asian background, if you look at countries that have women presidents or prime ministers, they tend to value hardworking self-effacing humility, not bravado and swagger. So in our language of the eight Mm. superpowers, they value achieving, knowing, believing, not performing and leading and standing on a stage. And it's very interesting. I think the blend of those things in my life, where I was able to say, we need a more complete definition of confidence that allows everyone to have a piece of it, right? It's not just defined in one way of, can you speak up in a meeting? Can you have quote unquote executive presence? It's more about, are you getting the work done? Are you the one taking care of everyone on the team and not being seen or appreciated, right? There's all these other routes to believe in ourselves that don't have to be defined by a single mold.
0: I love that. I love that. And it's so interesting because when I am invited to do speaking engagements, um, I always tell them it's so important that the men are invited into the room. The men need to hear these conversations. They need to be a part of the conversation in order to create a greater outcome and solution. And we can't be having these conversations in a vacuum just to each other as women because... The men are the other part of the equation in creating the equality and the gender pay gaps and all of these other issues that are being affected around this conversation. And and
1: here's in chapter two of my book, we talk about Kelly Hsu, who's a professor at Yale. She published a study that looked at 30,000 employee records and -hmm. what she realized over quarter over quarter, women got the highest rating on performance and results but the lowest on promotability. And men were rated the highest on promotion potential, but the lowest on actual performance. And when she double clicked on promotability, she realized it was extroversion, charisma, and swagger. It had nothing to do with actually getting the work done. And she said, look, the 40% of the pay gap that's correlated to promotion potential will continue to exist because we're using a scorecard that is incomplete. And so when we say that men are part of the solution, whether or not you want to acknowledge it, we have been conditioned as a society to promote the loudest voice in the room to say, okay, that person speaks up a lot. Therefore they must be the person I'm going to put in that manager role. And what the pandemic taught us is introverts were so happy because they didn't have to do the water cooler talk. They didn't have to like, you know, shake hands, they could be evaluated fairly on the quality of their work because there was no place to shake
0: hands and show up at this event or show up that way. Mm -hmm. Right. Amazing. It's incredible. Um, Before we wrap up, which is a sad thing on here for our audience, because I know everybody is loving and enjoying everything we're talking about. Um, You and I will always continue to have our amazing conversations, but I got a fun question for you. If you could have a dinner party and have three or four people at that table, dead or alive, um, hopefully, you know, we we would go back in time so they show up in, in a wonderful way at that table. Um, but people who are maybe no longer with us that you'd want to have around you, that inspire you, that motivate you from any walk of life. Who How many people
1: be? do I get, Kathy? How many people do only, I get? Only three or four. We, we could be here forever Ooh. otherwise. Four. So pick three or
0: four that you think might just be there. I mean, we'll have to build on that. But
1: Well, my mom's got to be there. I want? mean, she just really wants to be 100%. everywhere. I mean, like my mom's going to be yes. there. I feel like that's a given. Um, yeah. I would probably say... Oh, wow. I love this question, Kathy. And I haven't even thought about it. Okay. Um, I definitely my mom, I would be probably, I probably have two family members, my mom. And then also my, I, I have a, a, a grandmother I never met, but everyone talks mm. about her. Like she was unbelievable. She, basically as a single parent raised my father and his brothers and sisters, and wow. she ran her own business in Taiwan. So I never got to physically meet her. She passed away when I was a little girl and, and never got to go back to Taiwan to meet her. So I would love to actually meet the yeah. woman that everyone tells stories about and talks Amazing. about as being this incredibly powerful woman. Um, yeah, I think I probably also, you know, wow, this, Oh, I know who it is. Um, I, I'm going to make it an all Asian dinner party. We'll have to like have dumplings. Brilliant. Um, I really, oh, I've got the best chef for you. <laughs> uh, well, I really want Mabel Ping Hua. I know she's going to be a weird one, but the New York Times actually did a whole thing around like forgotten women obituaries. She was wow. a Chinese woman who was the first Asian woman to graduate with a PhD from Columbia. And she rode a horse in the suffragist parade in Brooklyn, all the way to New York, to get women the right to vote. And so the New York Times in the 1900s did a piece about her that says, Chinese girl wants vote. And uh, we actually do a newsprint blouse that features wow. suffragists yes, and and, yes, yes, and, whatnot. Yes, yes. and we found the article with her photo. So I'd want her to be oh, there because I right want now. to know, oh, right? I'm going to make an all Asian female party. And then also, um, and then Helen Zia, who I did get to meet at an event. She was in the first female graduating class at Princeton and she wrote a book called Asian American dreams which is all Mm. about the history of Asians in America, which is a fairly forgotten story since it's such a small percent of the population. But I read it last Mm. year for the first time because I sat next to her at this event. And I really think the four of us or the five of us could have a real fun conversation about the state of the world. Oh, maybe the former Taiwanese president because she was the first female president of Taiwan. She just stepped down because they just had an election. Everyone was like, can't she have a third term? But there's term limits. So I think we would have a really, good time actually. So I'm gonna have an all Asian female dinner party. I <laughs> love this. Love this. One and, of my
0: favorite answers ever yeah. to that question. And we so can speak English and I just
1: Mandarin Chinese. We could speak Taiwanese. I right. think it'd be just a really fun conversation about what I should do with my it's life. Incredible. The topic would be I what should Lisa it. do
0: with her life. Uh, what should I exactly well you know somewhere along the way I was going to ask you what's next? What's your yeah. next chapter? Yeah. And you know, since it, maybe so, we'll actually end on that question yeah. because yeah, is, you know, there a, is there a next chapter? A slightly, a in your
1: eye? I'm just going to say there's a slightly pessimistic view of the world that I think informs my answer. You know, I think that most brands and products are commoditized. Right. I I, I truly think like you could probably find similar products on Alibaba, on Amazon. Like, I just think that the world of brands is starting to go through its own reinvention, to use your phrase, in that anything can be purchased now faster and lower costs. And so the only reason you have any connection is going to be through content or personality. And so a lot of people have asked me the question, like, why did you write a book? Why, why does a fashion entrepreneur write a book? And I always say, because I think we have our product brand, we have our production business, our factories, and, and, and how we produce products for us and for others. And I said, I think the third pillar of this story has to be about content and inspiration that connects you back to all the other pieces. And so we've been around for a decade. I think the next decade will be defined by how do we improve people's lives? Obviously we want you to buy a dress from us, but how do we improve your life in addition to that? So that those connections you have to the product feel deeper, you know, you can buy a Mm. black dress from anywhere, But I really feel like this black dress, when I put out, reminds me of what I learned in Lisa's book. It reminds me to believe in myself. It reminds me of how wonderful I am. And so the word gravitas is on my label sewn into my dress. It's a reminder of everything I read about or heard about or was listening to Kathy's podcast. And now I get a physical manifestation of it. And I think the more we can connect content and experiences to the product, the stronger the yeah. brand becomes. Um, I just read someone Brilliant. said, um, what what company just announced their earnings? And they said, the problem is, oh, it was the, the CEO of Best Buy. He said the mm-hmm. reason they had such soft results is she called it the... I think it was like the, 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 uh, funflation, she called it funflation. So she said, people didn't buy a flat screen TV. They spent a thousand dollars on Taylor Swift concert tickets, um, to Uh, take their little girl. And so that thousand dollars of disposable income did not go to upgrading the television. It went to taking my daughter to Taylor Swift. And so I think the more you play into that funflation component of the world, the more likely you are then to get the product purchase at some point. So that's a yeah, very businessy
0: yeah, answer to your question. Well, um, it's an incredible answer. It's so, you know, I look doing what I do every day in yes, our agency, in this, the world. Sharp Alliance, this is my world. And yeah. creating those human connections, whether it's for a product, a piece of yeah. content, an experience, it is about creating that feeling. You know, that's what people are going to remember. I had a you woman, Adrian,
1: yeah. this amazing woman, Adrian, she owns a couple of pieces from us. She owns a dress, um, her fiance and introduced us to her, to the brand. She lives in Philadelphia and she messaged me on Instagram saying, I'm taking the train down to your DC book signing because your Philadelphia one. I'll be out of town and I'm just coming in for the day. And she wore her gravitas outfit because I just wanted to meet the person who made my clothes, who's now written my favorite book of the year. Yeah. And it was one of those weird yeah. moments where I would never even connected. If you've never met us, all of a sudden we created a very public forum where you didn't have to buy a ticket, you didn't have to buy clothes from us, and you got to like have a deep and meaningful connection with the person who made your favorite dress, the person you know so you get that. I know no, that's but what not you do. just
0: made the favorite dress, but literally, and you know you said something funny before about how you want to create a deeper connection about how the book makes you feel and the dress. I'm like 10 years ago, when I put on those clothes and those dresses that you created, I felt everything that was in the book. Like it, it was like kind of like the magic sprinkle dust Mm -hmm. that you managed to put into the book. Yeah. Okay. That, that is my experience because I know and understand your brand, but I understand the way what you put into creating those dresses was all of that. And it is so authentic that that connection exists, amplifying it and, and making sure people do get that is a really special And and, and I know we are running very long today, but I will
1: say, you know, in the world of this whole funflation theme, someone, you know, you asked me at the beginning, how's the clothing business going? I'm like, it was hard. I actually think that's why Macy's laid off people this month. You know, I, I, I actually think the apparel business is very, very hard right now. And when I stepped back with my team and we said, what sold, what, what, what did move at full price last year? It's things like our suffragist newsprint blouse, right? It's, it's a blouse. It's a normal pussy blow blouse that anyone can make, but we featured newsprint articles from the 1900s and 1910s and 1920s celebrating women getting the right to vote. Okay. If I have $198, right, I can go buy three things at Zara or I can get this one blouse, that says something about who I am that says something about what I care about, but also supports a New York city sewing team. It supports, you know, and you're like, okay, wow. That's why that blouse kept selling. Right. I was like, guys, we've never discounted it. We've never put it on sale. We just keep moving it. What's the magical formula around that? And I think that's the next 10 years of my company is how do we create these moments where it's like so much more than the product, but the product itself is also super special in some way. People will say, yeah, I got stopped on the street eight times today wearing that newsprint blouse. You know, someone sent me a photo from the subway from Warner Brothers. She's like... I had a man say, I'm not being rude, but I'm reading your chest because it is so interesting. <laughs> like, cause you can read the newsprint articles. Oh He's God. like, I'm really not being yeah. offensive. I'm married. I have kids. I have daughters. Oh my I God. just have to tell you, it's like the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I'm like, okay, that, that that's the stuff that we can do. That is very different yeah. than, you know, everyone else on sale. And, and obviously we're yeah. on sale cause we're in retail, but
0: right. No, but that's who you are. And that says it all. And what Mm -hmm. an amazing place to wrap up our conversation today. Lisa, I adore you. I'm proud of you. I'm excited for you. I cannot wait to see you in person. Um, for those who want to buy the book, where do they go? What's the best and easiest way? And direct line to any, your book. Anywhere books
1: are sold. GravitasNewYork.com uh, has like a whole page about, but you can buy it anywhere. And then MyConfidenceLanguage.com, where you can take the quiz for free to discover your superpowers.
0: I love that. And we'll put all of that in the show notes. So it'll be there for those who don't have a pen or paper or phone or something in front of them to write it down right now. Um, Just refer back to the show notes. Lisa, thank you so much for being my guest today. I just love this conversation. Clearly, we went as long as we could because there's so much to share and talk about. Um, And for those who would like to tap into the Reinvention Exchange, I'm going to actually add something about Lisa on the Inspire page where we curate incredible people doing incredible things um, so that you have access to that. Um, If you want to pick up a copy of Reinvent Your Life, what are you waiting for? You can do that through the website or Barnes and Noble or Amazon or Apple Books or anywhere you get your books tune in to more episodes of the power of reinvention anytime and happy reinventing everybody. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the power of reinvention. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate and review the show. Wouldn't mind a five-star review. It would be greatly appreciated. Also, be sure to visit the reinventionexchange.com to share your reinvention stories, suggest a guest, join the newsletter mailing list, get access to my book, which is called Reinvent Your Life, What Are You Waiting For?, and discover fantastic bonus content with my blogs and listen in to the Reinvention virtual chat series. Don't forget to join me next week for another episode. Please share with a friend and thank you for listening. Happy reinventing.